You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Take your seats. Fantastic. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Pete and I am our community manager here at Influence Church. And I have an amazing job and the amazing joy of helping lead our food bank and community projects here at Influence Church. It is just amazing to see in this church how much God is on the move in all that he's doing. You know, we never take lightly that we get the opportunity to partner with God in being a light and a blessing and being hope to a community. You look at the world at the moment, there's a lot of things going on, there's a lot of things that you can look at and say they're pretty terrible and they're pretty bad and I completely agree but what I know is that God is overcoming and God is powerful and God is on the move and when we look in our local community, God's doing amazing things but even further afield, the fact that as a church we have the ability to be a light, even in the nations like Cambodia. You know, it's such a joy and it's such a privilege that we have got that opportunity. So, you know, let's take heart. Let's be excited for what God's going to do in, in, our, in our lives, but also in, the, in this community as well. I want to look today at a topic in our Greater series. Have people enjoyed this Greater series this year? It's been a fantastic way to start the year, I think. Like, for us as Christians, desiring greater in our lives, not just greater in our spirit lives, but in every part of our lives, it's just such a great thing to stand on as we start going to a new year, having greater joy, greater happiness, greater purpose in our lives. All of these things line up perfectly with our faith. And today I want to expand on those topics a little bit, but look at something a little more practical, which is for us to be a people who have a greater sense of perseverance in our faith lives. Perseverance is something that we all have. I think that's fair to say. I think if you've got children in this room, you've probably got an awful lot more perseverance than maybe I do. Um, if you, but we've all persevered through things in life before. We've all journeyed through stuff. We've all faced challenges, trials, and temptations, and then persevered through them and overcome them. The fact that you're in church this morning is a testament that you've maybe persevered even through road traffic to get here. Who knows that some of the roads around here... What is going on in Richmond at the moment? Why are there so many, like different like vans just blocking up roads like I don't know what they're doing but it's just I'm sure there'll be like some kind of grand unveiling where it'll just be like look what you've persevered through now you've got a super fast wi-fi network across the whole town but is it worth it who knows um but we've all persevered through things in life and I think with, with perseverance understanding that you you're going to get facings in life is a realistic approach to your faith you know we it would be very easy for us as a church and for preachers and for leaders in this church to stand up and say, you know, when, when you give your life to Jesus, you raise your hand at that moment, everything after it is going to be sunshine, rainbows, lollipops, and everything great. But that, that is a lie, okay? That's misleading at best. But realistically, it's just not life at all. You know, life is sometimes facing challenges. Life is mountaintops and valley bottoms. Life is, is overcoming and pursuing God despite the circumstances we find ourselves in. Perseverance itself simply is this. It's persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And I think when we look at our lives that I'm persevering in our faith, it's very much that, isn't it? You know, we, we often go through our lives uh, and we'll push through 
frustrations, we'll push through disappointment despite the difficulty of it and despite the delay in us overcoming it, but knowing full-heartedly that God has got a plan and that it's going to be okay at some point in the future. You know, Hebrews 12 says this. It says, and it's a famous passage of scripture, you'll have heard it said many, many times, but it's so true and it's so relevant to this. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and I think looking around this room today, we've got some pretty great witnesses in here. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And then it says this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God has called us to run the race of life with perseverance. One truth that has become so, so real for me recently and in this last couple of years has been that God hasn't called any of us to be 100-meter uh, sprinters. And what I mean by that is he hasn't called us to be sparklers. He hasn't called us to be people that shine really, really brightly for like 20 seconds and then fizzle out into nothingness for the rest of our lives. God hasn't designed mankind to be like that. God has called you and designed you for longevity. He's designed you in your faith life to have a long-lasting, permanent relationship with him, which goes from strength to strength and from testimony and to testimony and to testimony. From the moment you give your life to Jesus all the way through to the very old age that you find yourself at. God has called us for that. He's called us to be more like marathon runners than Usain Bolt. And that's not to say that Usain Bolt couldn't be a Christian or he isn't a Christian or anything like that. It's to say that we have been called for longevity. And we need to think in our minds, sometimes it's very easy for us to get locked into the day-to-day -day rubbish that we find ourselves in, the problems, the, the quick issues, the things that you think that they've only just come around in the morning, when we actually lose sight of the vision of what God has got for us. And it says in that verse in Hebrews to consider him, to consider Jesus in those moments so that we don't grow weary and lose heart, so that we keep our eyes not on the earthly problems, not on the day-to-day -day problems and issues that we find, but actually set our eyes heavenward and to start renewing our focus to see what Jesus did and who Jesus is in our lives so that we can push and persevere forward through those things. I think... When we look at Jesus, there's a lot, there's so much in the life of Jesus that we can learn from. Jesus is the pioneer. Jesus is the first Christian. Jesus is the reason that every single one of us is in this room, whether we know it or not today. Jesus is, and his life is something that we can look at and draw so much inspiration on. Very often we consider the cross and we consider what happened on the cross as the absolute pinnacle moment. You know what? It absolutely is. But we must always remember that Jesus lived a life before that moment too. And in that life, we see the absolute personification of perseverance in that. We see Jesus born to Mary, living a life for 30 years before his ministry even starts. We have a, a journey there that he persevered to a point. We see Jesus doing his ministry, doing the time that he spent speaking to the people of Israel, the time he spent spreading the gospel himself. We see in all of those times and all of those moments, Jesus himself displaying his humanity, but also showing his perseverance in going through the full journey and race marked out for him. 
I think one of the times where we really see Jesus persevere, we really see him overcome, the the pinnacle one, of course, is the cross. But before then, we see another point at the time of the temptation of Jesus. We see him overcome temptation three times and basically go through it completely and, you know, journeys through that in a very human way. Now, when we see the temptation of Jesus, it would be very easy. And I think when we understand the divinity of Jesus, it would have been very easy for him to just do a very magnificent display of his glory and his power and show that, you know, I am the son of God. I am someone who has more authority than anyone else in this world right now. And he could have very easily overcome that through his divine nature. But when we see the temptation of Jesus, what we actually see is him overcoming the temptations laid down by the devil in his human nature. And I love the fact that Jesus does this. Because you know what? A divine display, while would be beautiful in scripture, and you'd probably get paintings on the walls of churches of it, you know, like the Sistine Chapel reference to my t-shirt. You know, you would get these like fantastic paintings that would show like, you know, almost like a Superman Clark Kent moment of Jesus ripping off his humanity and showing his divinity to the devil. But we don't see that. What we see is something that's relatable. We see something that we can connect with as people because we, while we are not God, we are made in the image of God and Jesus in his humanity was the, the presentation of humanity in that New Testament, in the gospel. And we can take from that so much. We can take the principles that Jesus shows and actually adapt them and implement them into our lives. And I believe that we see many things in there and we see things that we can, when we get hold of and when we, t- we take heart of, we can actually then begin to see them in our own lives creating greater perseverance for us. Matthew 4 is, of course, the temptation of Jesus. I just want to read it right now, and this will be the, the real meat of this message. This is where I really want to look and unpack some of this scripture with you today, and it simply reads as this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, some things in the Bible are just so, like, self-explanatory, aren't they? Do you ever, like, read passages of Scripture and just go, well, obviously. Like, I, I can't imagine doing more than, like, eight hours without food. I, I get to a level of hunger, which I think is just terrifying. Um, in, in our office, me and the church administrator, Hannah, share an office together. And when it gets to 11.30, without fail, when we're both in, someone will say, 60 minutes till lunchtime. We get excited about it, and then as like time goes on, it gets to the point where it's like, it's 32 minutes to lunchtime, are you excited? And start fantasizing about what we're going to eat, and we start saying, oh, it's going to, you know, I've got some soup in my bag, I can't wait to put it in the microwave. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? But Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting. I like hats off to him, like, I could not do that, and I'm sure many of us would struggle with it as well. Um, and the tempter, sorry, that was just completely random, wasn't it? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had given him and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that they will not strike a foot against stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you will only bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left and the angels came and attended him. 
It's a powerful moment where we see Jesus triumph over the temptations laid before him. But in my personal devotions the the other day, I was just reminded of of Matthew 3, the chapter preceding this. And as I was reading it, one thing that came up in my mind was just the stark contrast between Matthew 3, which is the baptism of Jesus, the moment where heaven opens, the Holy Spirit comes down, there's this amazing scene by the side of the Jordan River, the Jordan River and even into the very nature of, it, of the ground there. I've, I've been and seen the Jordan River, it's a very fertile part of Israel and the rest of it's quite sparse and quite deserty almost. And, you know, he went from this moment of like mountaintop moment, you know, the, the word of God is speaking to him. John the Baptist just baptised him. You know, the Holy Spirit's there, the, the crowd, if it was a football match, you'd be saying the crowd goes wild kind of moment where it's this mountaintop moment of elation and then all of a sudden bam wilderness moment the the short the the side of the jordan river the land around it replaced with the barren wilderness the the voice of god in the ears of the people replaced with the silence and the hiss of the tempter in his ear this this stark staggering contrast between the two moments that we see and and i think for us each and every one of us, that can very much be something that, that we, we feel and see in our lives as well. How often does it, do things go on the up and up when we, you know, you maybe encounter the Spirit of God on a Sunday and you, you think you're living your best life. You think, well, my family is good right now. My children are behaving themselves. They're, you know, they're, yeah, sometimes. Um, my, you know, my whole life is working well. My business is booming. Everything's going really, really well. And then all of a sudden, bam, wilderness moment. Family starts to fall apart. Finances start getting difficult. Things start getting problematic. And we can look at what Je- how Jesus responded to that. And we can see so much of what we can do in those moments as well. Jesus, everything Jesus did, everything that we can see in the New Testament accounts of Jesus has a reason and a purpose. And it has relevance for us in life today. I think seeing how Jesus faced challenges is, is amazing. You know, Jesus faced them head on to start with. And I think I'm quite an unconfrontational person. I think when sometimes when confrontation happens, I'm someone who sometimes will try and stick his head in the ground or just try and skirt around the argument sometimes. I just, I'm not someone who's a fan of like charging straight towards something and being like, I'm just going to battle through this. Like I, for myself, it's been a journey and sometimes just trying to say, to ask the question and just try and stand your ground a little bit more because actually we're, we're meant to meet challenges head on. We're meant to, as Christians, not try and hide away and shy away from things, but actually bring the light and goodness of God into situations. And often with challenges, I think something that we can be guilty of is we can so quickly blame God for the situations we find ourselves in. I was, at the beginning of this year, I was joking with, with Liz, one of our community team here at church, about how our food bank is the only department of church where you'll thank God through gritted teeth for the blessing that he's bestowing on you. And it's true, you know, we, we receive so much food at some points, and at the moment, this baptism tank under here is currently full of food. And... <laughs> Because we've got nowhere else to put it. And Richard won't let me rip a few chairs out and put a little shed down the side of there. You know, it says it'll make the church look messy. I disagree. I think it'll look quite nice. We could call it the shed. It'd be great. We could maybe serve drinks in it on a Sunday. It's never going to happen, is it? But, you know, speak vision and it'll come to pass. It's prophetic. No, it's not. But in, in storehouse, we, we receive such blessing and it's so great. And I sometimes have been guilty of having an attitude where I'll see that blessing and just be like, oh, well, God, thank you so much. Like, this is amazing, but where on earth are we going to put it? Taking my eyes off the divine and onto the practicality and sinking into that trap of being like, well, actually, 
you know, God has given us a blessing here. Let's be joyous about it. And in challenges in life, we can do something similar. We can often look at the situation that we're in, whether that's through our faith life, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our finances, and we can say, well, you know what, God, thank you once again for putting me in this difficult situation that I'm really going to struggle to overcome, but I'll still praise you through gritted teeth. When actually, God has called us to, God may not have put us in that situation anyway. You know, one of the things that James says is that no bad thing comes from the Lord. James says very clearly that no bad thing comes from the Lord, and it's very, very true. But our means and ability to overcome, well, they come from the Lord. That is the gift that he's given us. James says this in James 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I hate that verse. I actually do not like that verse one bit. On the basis that when, it's okay to be challenged by scripture. You know, it's it's true, but it doesn't mean you have to enjoy it being true. But it's hard to do, isn't it? Because when we face trials of many kinds, then not the go-to reaction is not for it to be a joy. It's for it to be frustration. It's for it to be annoyance. It's to be, why have you put me in this situation again, God? But this is what James says. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and he will be given and it will be given to you. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. When we persevere, when we meet challenges in life, and I'm going to throw my hands up and say, some of the challenges we meet in life are not nice. They're not good things. They're hard. They're difficult. They're frustrating. They're the kind of things where you just want to bang your head against the wall and go, why is this happening right now? But James says so clearly that when we are tested in that way, when we persevere through it, it produces stuff in us. Perseverance is really an umbrella term for the byproduct of what comes from it, which is that we become mature. Some of us in this room need maturity more than others. I'll grant you that. But maturity is important. Spiritual maturity isn't the the thing of not laughing at certain jokes. It's actually knowing that God's going to keep providing after and in dry seasons. It's knowing that the wilderness has an end. It's knowing that this season doesn't define me, but actually my relationship with Jesus is the anchor to my soul that will define me. (laughs) Spiritual maturity is something that we get. It can't be gained simply through raising a hand on a Sunday and saying, I give my life to you, Jesus, and then living the same thereafter. Actually, to gain that spiritual maturity, we have to put in some work. We have to build our relationship with God. We have to persevere, because when we persevere and it produces this in us, we're able to do battle with way more than we could have ever overcome in our own strength. To be complete. Do you know that a relationship with Jesus is the only thing that's going to give you completeness in this world? No, a relationship with Jesus will fill the voids that we try and fill with so often with earthly things. But it takes perseverance to grow in a relationship. If you think about when you first got married and you started dating or courting, if you're old-fashioned, that girl that you, you got married to, one of the things that, that you'll have done is it'll have taken time. You don't just go up to someone when you see them for the first time and go, well, the Lord's told me that I'm going to marry you. Um, they go, away from me, weirdo, I'm calling the police. I waited 28 days, so, you know, I I, I waited, I persevered. It was a long 28 days, that's all I'm saying. Um, But that completeness takes time to come into us. That completeness takes time to grow inside of us, and it comes through that perseverance. And not lacking anything. 
more often than not, we, we, when we have our eyes fixed on the earthly problems and challenges, we feel like we're lacking something. We think, well, actually, you know what? If we just had a couple more thousand pound a month coming in, our mortgage and our bills and our utilities would all be covered. And we can get so consumed with that kind of mindset, finance being one, but attitudes or relationships or whatever it is you want to fill in that void. We can get so consumed with the idea that we, what, we need more to be, to be more. But actually, God says, no, you need me, and you'll be complete. And that completion is enough. That not lacking is enough. You won't lack anything when you have me in your lives. And we take this verse at its word. What we do is we just flip our perspective on problems on its head. And it's amazing, but it's, it's pra- it takes practice. It takes time. It takes a journey. It takes perseverance because there'll always be times, and I'm so guilty of this now. I was so guilty of it 10 years ago, and I'm guilty of it now, of sometimes something just slips in, and you just think, well, I'm going back to an old way of thinking. But that growth in perseverance means that we catch it sooner, that we don't try and stop it uh, a mile down the line. We actually become aware of our attitude and our mindset. You know, having that greater sense of perseverance builds so much in us. It's something that when we apply it to our lives, that that we can absolutely transform ourselves. And I see in that temptation of Jesus three things that really play into this, that really give us a greater sense of having perseverance. And the first one is this, through our knowledge of the word of God. The second is through obedience to our calling. And the third is by putting our faith into action. I see all three of these things that Jesus does, and I think that they're so key and so powerful in this. The first one, through the knowledge of the Word of God. You know, the more you know of the Word of God, the more relationship you have with Jesus, the more understanding that you get from your Bible, the greater perseverance that you'll have in your life. But not only that, the greater understanding that you'll have of God, the greater expectation you can have from Him through knowing Him more. 2 Peter says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. It's so true, that cliche of the more you know, the more you grow. The more you understand God, the more you can press in. The more you have an understanding of your Bible, the more that you can apply it to this world. The more knowledge of the word we have, the more we can see God move through that. One thing that, that Jesus does in this temptation is that in all three temptations that we see him go through is he actually responds to the devil not with his own words, not with words that he created, but words from the Old Testament, words that were of God, words that were not of his creation but of what he had been studying. One thing I like to think is that because every single one of those verses that he res- responds with are from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8 is that we could probably assume... You've got to be careful when you assume, but one thing I think is that they are probably words that Jesus had been meditating on himself in his own personal devotion time, in his own time where he was pursuing God, when he was in prayer, when he was meditating the scriptures. And as a result, we can draw inspiration from that. Because if we face challenges and trials in our lives, if we respond to them with fresh bread, fresh scripture, then we can overcome anything. Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone in the first temptation. He will not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus means by bread alone isn't Hovis best of both or Warburton's thickly sliced toast. He doesn't mean physical bread. What he means is that you can't live by your earthly wants and desires alone. You can't live by status alone. You can't live by relationships alone. You can't live by finance alone. You can't live by whatever inherent earthly desire you want to replace bread with. You cannot live by that alone. 
but you can live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When we start understanding that we don't have a responsibility to feed ourselves uh, in an earthly sense, as much as we have a responsibility to feed ourselves spiritually, we can start to see that perseverance manifest in ourselves. The verse that Jesus referenced in that was Deuteronomy 8.3, and the full scripture of it reads this. It says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you or your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It was in referencing this verse that Jesus overcame his first temptation. And one thing I love about this is that, that firstly, the, the scripture that Jesus quotes is that whole bread alone um, mentality and you know living on the word of God but the the first part of Deuteronomy 8 3 is that he humbled you causing you to hunger and then he fed you with with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known one thing that we can receive from God is fresh revelation the word of God is so alive and is so active that when we press into it it presses into us it imprints on our very souls but the fact of the matter is is that you can get a revelation that neither you nor your father or your father's father had known. Because the word of God is a fresh word even to this very day. It's been a fresh word for 2,000 years and it will continue being a fresh word for many, for thousands of years after. Purely on the basis that what God says in here is relevant and alive and active for each and every one of us even to this very day. Second point is this, it's to our obedience, uh, obedience to our calling. Through obedience to our calling. We, we recently... Uh, got a dog, well, seven months ago. Um, she's called Rosa. She's about yay big, lovely, horrible teeth. Like, just likes to bite me like no, no tomorrow. I've got scars all over my arms. Um, and she doesn't seem to get the word no very often. So very often on a night, it'll just be me sat on the sofa being like, no, Rosa, please stop. And then I'll watch as like part of my finger just trails off. As she, horrible. Uh, she recently chewed every single corner of a scatter cushion like, for no reason other than the fact that, you know, she, she's a dog and she doesn't really get it. But, you know, it's great, isn't it? We, we have this dog and we're training Rosa, okay? And it, it does link in, trust me. I'm not just on a tangent here. But we're training Rosa to be obedient. Now, obedience is a bit of a word where I think people don't like it. People don't like the idea of being obedient because as you stretch into adulthood and as you become your own person, one of the things that you often find is that people want to define, and it's very much the language of the day is, you know, I'm going to make my own future, I'm going to be my own man, I'm going to do what I need to do. And that mentality means that obedience is a bit of a dirty word somewhat. You know, we don't want to be obedient, we want to be our own person. We don't want to do what someone else calls us to do, we want to do what we want to do. And while in training a dog, obedience is convenient for me, Granted, you know, there's a convenience in not having to chase a dog down the road to catch it. But there is also an element of safety and assurance that comes from that. Because when a dog is obedient to your call and you say, you know what, Rosa, come here. And you, can see, you might be able to see a car coming down the road, but she just sees it as an opportunity to go and play. Actually, you, got, you can perceive, perceive and see that that is something that is dangerous for her. And so in her obedience, there comes a safety and an assurance that she's not going to come to any harm when she comes to you. And the same applies to us in our lives, in our faith lives, is that when we're obedient to God, while we might try and resentfully perceive it as convenient to whoever, 
But that's not the point. The point is that God sees all things. He's outside of time. He sees risk. He sees danger. He sees the danger of you going and living that lifestyle, which you think is completely fine because you've been free of it for 30 years. And as a result, nothing's going to tempt you. But God may have called you somewhere else. And when you step outside of the calling of God, there is a very real risk that we are not going to be able to overcome what's there because God hasn't called us to it. One thing that we can get lost in in this is the idea that, well, we, you might be thinking that, oh, well, if I go somewhere where God hasn't called me to, does that mean that God doesn't love me? Well, no, absolutely not. You know, God will still love you when you're disobedient. God will still love you when you're far from him. God will still love you when you're living life on your own terms and not on his. But there comes a time and a point where it's stretched. There comes a time and a point where you're not going to receive the same blessings that God has for you. You're not going to be in the same purpose that God has for you because of where you've positioned yourself. Jesus said in the second temptation, do not put the Lord God, your God to the test. And I would suggest that when we are disobedient to our calling, when we go our own way, when we choose our own alignment, that what we do is we actually position ourselves in a way where we're testing God's love to say, well, you know what, God, I'm over here, but do you still love me? And you know, the answer is always going to be a resounding yes from God. God gave his son in such a way that it was out of complete and unfiltered love for all mankind. You know, God loves you that much. But there's an arrogance that comes sometimes with us going away from where God's called us to. Actually, when we choose to be obedient, we find ourselves in the safe harbors of his calling. We find ourselves in the safe harbors of his purposing for us. We find ourselves able to do immeasurably more because we're actually running with the grain of what God has called for our lives. But it's frustrating. And I'll throw my hands up and say it's so frustrating sometimes, isn't it? Because we think we know so much, yet we know so little. And in sometimes in the waiting for God to do something, we can become so frustrated within that that we feel that actually going somewhere else might just be nicer to find different pastures. Psalm 130 verse five says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. You know, we, we have to be a people that hope. We have to be a people who, while we're waiting, we don't lose heart. We have to continue, as it said in, in that verse from Hebrews, that we consider Jesus in those moments when we're getting frustrated, who him, him endured such opposition so that we would not grow weary. We have to have our eyes off the earthly and into the heavenly within this. Final point is this. It's by putting our faith into action. And putting our faith into action is something that I think we all do to some extent. We all try a lot to put our faith into action. I think as, as Christians, sometimes even just simply saying that you, you, know, you have a belief in a, in a space where it may be a little uncomfortable to do so is, is putting our faith into action. But actually... We need to desire greater. If we want to persevere through life, if we want to persevere in our faith, if we want to see God move in a greater way, then actually we need to be a people who are bold enough to say, I'm going to put my faith into action. And now while this point might feel like it goes against the previous one of, of, not, of what Jesus said in the second temptation, don't put the Lord your God to the test, there is a natural tension that exists between testing God and putting your faith into God. There's a natural tension that exists when we actually start stepping into what God has called us to do, to be a light 
in this world. We have to have faith if we're going to be a light. We have to believe that when we go forward that God goes before us. Because if, we, if, if he doesn't, then we're just making a lot of noise and looking rather silly. But actually what God has called us to and what God has said to us is that when we go, he precedes us. He goes ahead of us. He's already in those situations. He's already sparking the little seeds and the little lights of conversation in people's minds before you've even spoken to them. God wants us to put our faith into action. God desires it of his people. One of the things I think, one of the things I have journeyed in, and certainly over the last five years, has been, has been this. If, for those of you who know me, you've known that I've, I've worked for church for about a year and a bit now. And before that, I was a contractor. I worked for uh, Heslop Fencing Contractors. Still work, still around if you need a fencing quote, but the, yeah, shameless self-pitch. Um, but in my time as a contractor, one of the things that I spent a lot of time doing was I spent a lot of time on building sites and a lot of time working in places where there was a lot of tradesmen and a lot of people who were building places, building landscaping and doing all these different kind of things. And I remember I came to faith at the dawn of that time of, 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 that time of being in business. I remember sitting in, in church, hearing messages, hearing Ben preach an amazing sermon in, our, in a series called Go, I think it was, where we, he just, he absolutely like convicted me in this of me being someone who should put my faith into action, who should speak the word of the God in these places, the word of God in these places. Now, for those of you who are maybe from the trade, you'll know that if you display anything which is considered a slight type of weakness, that everyone on the trade site will jump on that and probably pick on you a little bit for it. And for me, that was a consuming thought. That was a fear. That was a trepidation. That was something that when I thought, if I'm going to speak Jesus into this place, then these guys are probably going to gaffer take me to a mock shit, um, uh, what's it, a mocked up crucifix on the side of the building and just like mock me and call me like Bible bashing. So I got absolutely terrified of this idea. And it sounds ridiculous when you say it on a stage in front of a room full of believers, but in the small moments in bait rooms where I was given chances and opportunities to speak, my heart would beat furiously with fear and worry that if I said anything about my faith, that I would be persecuted, bullied, taken the mick out of for it. And I want to tell you today that those five years went by, and for, nearly, for probably about four and a half of them, I was given time and opportunity and chance to share the word of God and that fear crept in. I let that fear control my life. I let it not allow me to speak the word of God. And do you know what happened? Nothing bad happened to me on the basis that I never stepped out in faith. So I felt pretty assured that if I keep my head down, if I keep my mouth shut, no one's going to persecute me. I'll just be able to sort of come in and out, almost like I'm in camouflage. It'll be fine. But it got to a point where I realized that that wasn't the right way of thinking. And I felt so convicted in my heart. There'd be afternoons where you'd be having a cup of tea with people. And I'd just feel the weight of not actually sharing the gospel. Like, I'm two people. I almost felt like I'd been torn in half. That I was Pete the contractor on a weekday. And then on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I was Pete the Christian. And it just felt so disconnected. And in the end, it got too much. It got to a point where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to tell someone that I'm a Christian and I remember speaking to this, this lad, and he was, he was a big, big guy, like massive bloke, huge beard, like the kind of person who has a lot of banter, a lot of jokes, and the kind of thought, sort of person I thought, if I speak to him, it's almost like me going up against Goliath, because he's just going to rip me to pieces when I say that I'm a Christian. And I, do you know what I said? I said to him, he asked me what I'd got up to on the weekend, and I turned around and went, oh, well, you know, I lead a youth program for our local church, and you know, we, we spent some time with some young people, and we got talking, and there was some really good stuff that happened. And, you know, he turned around to me, he didn't persecute me. He didn't gaffer take me to a makeup crucifix. 
He didn't like hit me around the head with a trowel and go, you're a Christian, I'm going to beat you up. He didn't do any of that stuff. You know what he went? He went, that's nice, mate. Which church you were part of? And this story doesn't have that amazing end- ending where I'm like, and he's now sat over here, he gave his life to Jesus, and he's this, that, and the other. It doesn't have that. But I built these walls in my mind. I created this barrier, and I made it so wide, so high, that I could not see around it. But when I walked through it, when I persevered with my own internal worry, God did something in me. But he also probably planted some seeds. I don't know where that guy is now. I've not spoken to him in a couple of years. But what I do know is that we can be so quick to rule ourselves out of being able to make a difference in our community. We can be so quick to rule ourselves out of, making, of being hope. We can quick, so quickly rule ourselves out of being a light in our workplace when actually God has called us to put our faith into action. He's not called us to build walls. He's called us to walk through them. He's called us to persevere. And I want to speak to that in this place today. Why don't we stand, church? We're going to worship in a moment. But for those of you in this place who feel like you want to start speaking that light, speaking that truth, I don't know where it is. Now, I feel like there's people in this place today who have families who are far from God. I'll put my hand up to that. I'm someone who has family. I have a sister. I have a dad who don't know the Lord. Some days it breaks my heart that they don't know because I see the strife and the struggle they go through and it just tears me down. But I know that God's got a plan and a purpose for them. And if you're in this place today, if you've got family members, you've got children, you've got husbands, wives, whatever it may be, as we worship, I just want you to start placing them in your mind and just start speaking to God saying, God, fill me up. God, give me purpose. God, give me hope in this situation. Let me persevere. Because you know what? At the end of that temptation of Jesus, angels came and tended to Jesus. Now, it's fairly typical for us. We don't see angels swoop down and tend to us. But Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be a counselor. He sent, him to, he sent the Holy Spirit to be a hope. He sent the Holy Spirit to be a person who reminds us of what Jesus said so that in all things we can overcome. So in this place today, if you've got family, if you've got people who in your life you know need Jesus, I just want to encourage you as we worship just to start putting them before God, just saying, God, give me the perseverance to overcome. Give me the perseverance to speak life into them. Give me the hope to be able to see my workplace change. Give me the hope to see a diff- be a person who makes a difference. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.